With your EWTN Newslink, I'm Brian Patrick. The Senate acquits Donald Trump in his impeachment trial. The rare weekend session came barely a month after the deadly January 6th siege at the U.S. Capitol. Seven Republicans joined all 50 Democrats voting to convict. It was still well short of the two-thirds majority required. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell delivers a scalding denunciation of Donald Trump. He called the former president morally responsible for the siege of the U.S. Capitol. His speech on the Senate floor immediately followed the Senate vote acquitting Trump. With Mardi Gras in New Orleans canceled because of the coronavirus pandemic, seminarians at Notre Dame Seminary plan to celebrate in their own way. They'll stage a small parade behind the seminary, inviting residents of a nearby Catholic nursing home to sit outside and watch. For more news from a Catholic perspective, visit EWTNnews.com. The Doctor is in with Dr. Ray Garendi starts now. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Why do I have to be the insightful profession? Thank you for empowering me. Here's what I think is going on. I think you're a hoot and a half. My idea, my theory, my guidance is a bit of a stretch. I just love your show. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are really smart. I am sensitive and understanding and nurturing. Your show to me is like a comedy information show. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. It's my 10th year anniversary of my graduation from... Catholic Media Radio School of Articulation and Stuff. Good to have you with me. I'm Dr. Ray Grandy. This program is, the doctor is in, the version of it is E-Person Monday. I got in front of me all the stacks. I went to my computer yesterday and printed out, I like. I just like having them in my hands It makes it feel more substantive and we will get to your e-persons by the way if you uh if you have one go to uh the website drray.com d-r-r-a-y.com there's a contact page there and that's how you contact me some of these come in from the tv show i can always tell when people are familiar with the tv show but not the radio show because i'm so perspicacious about this they say as I write them back and say, can you please call the radio show? I can ask some questions, and I talk a lot faster than I type. And they say, what radio show? Yeah, pretty well known. Makes you feel like you're a big star. All righty. Let me see what we got. I have spoken often about the parallels between this program, this radio program, and the television sitcom series of the 90s, Everybody loves Raymond. And I've said that this is the parallel version of it. Some people sort of tolerate Raymond, me being Raymond Grandy. There was an episode on that show where the young boy, I, Jeffrey, I think, was, well, I don't know, six or seven, maybe, maybe five. He was in kindergarten. They were supposed to draw pictures of their family. And he drew a picture of what he called the angry family. Oh, boy. And they showed 
the various kid-like images. Now, you know these drawings are just rife with interpretation. That's, that's the big thing. I mean, when I was in grad school, we had, we had a whole section on one of our classes of assessment on how to interpret child drawings, which by and large is, um, how shall we say, shaky at best, unreliable at best. Too many other factors enter in rather than the child's projecting his concerns and little psyche onto the paper. A lot of this depends upon how well he can draw. And there was one part of the picture where one family member was off to the side. He wasn't, he wasn't in the group. I think that was Robbie. Robbie was the one that, uh, that uh, isn't favored by Marie, who loves Raymond. She loves Robbie, too, but Raymond is her, like my mother used to say, coochie babe. They went through all kinds of gyrations trying to figure out what was he saying in this picture? Oh gosh, they even they even went, I believe, to a psychologist as a family to try to figure out what was the pathology in their family that this this little guy was seeing and that they didn't know they were expressing, but he did because he drew this picture, and I'll tell you, it was a frightening-looking picture. Oh man, you look at this thing and you think if this kid sees our family this way what is he struggling with psychologically we are an over interpretive bunch we put a lot of meaning on things that probably don't have much more meaning than their obvious literal expression the whole show was premised around the idea that we've got to figure out why he sees us this way. And they had talks among each other, each each person in the picture trying to figure out what it meant regarding his perception of that person. What it meant that one of the family members had a really, really big mouth. It was huge mouth, wide open mouth. You know, oh, that's a yelling, talking person. That's obviously what you have to interpret. They even went back with the teacher and tried to figure out when the kids had the, had the assignment to draw their family, what the teacher might have thought it meant. The very last minute of the show, they asked the boy, which you think they do early on, but then you wouldn't have a show, right? It was a funny show, by the way. Everybody was stretching to figure out what exactly it meant. He said it was his picture of a cartoon that he watched on TV. The cartoon's title was The Angry Family. And he was drawing the cartoon family. Of course, Mom and Dad were so, so relieved, so happy that he wasn't seeing them this way. But I think the lesson is a telling one. Be careful how you interpret things. So many questions I get from parents are of the what-does-it-mean variety. And I want to say sometimes it means nothing. 
It just means that's what he did. Or that's what the impulse hit him. Or you stretch too far for a meaning and you're going to be wrong. I had a chapter in one of my early books. Matter of fact, my earliest book. The book was You're a Better Parent Than You Think. The chapter is Is My Child Normal? And I talked about how much of the angst in parenting nowadays revolves around what does this mean? What is my child trying to say with this behavior? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you ignore every piece of behavior and you don't think about it. I'm saying be careful because an awful lot of what we attach meaning to has real, no, no real meaning. It's a six-year-old doing something that a six-year-old feels the impulse to do or to say or to think. Illusory correlation. I love that term. It was a term that I first came across when I was in grad school. We had a personality test, a personality test class, where we had to learn how to interpret the meaning of inkblots, Bender Gestalt, which is a perception test, but nevertheless, we, we, we had to figure out what this perception test meant for a personality. Thematic apperception test, which was these pictures that the child had to tell a story about, and in so doing, in telling the story, the child would tell you how they look at life, how they look at themselves, how they look at people, how they look at guilt, etc. And our prof who put a lot of meaning in proper interpretation of these vague personality kind of indicators, said you have to be careful about illusory correlation. What he meant by that was, let's say, for example, on an inkblot test, somebody says, it looks like a butterfly that is getting ready to fly away. Now, an illusory correlation interpretation would be, well, obviously the person taking this particular test and talking to me about it wants to fly away from this testing situation because it's making them anxious. In other words, it sounds like it could mean this or maybe another inkblot test Quite, uh, inkblot test card could be, ooh, that's a very, it's a very mean, aggressive-looking animal that is dangerous. Illusory correlation. Who in this person's life makes them afraid? Why did they see this scary-looking creature about to attack? Who is that creature? What meaning might it have for them? In fact, it could be none of that it's probably none of that but the interpretation sounds good doesn't it sounds like we're smart it's like whoa I'm finding meaning because my ability to find meaning shows my perceptivity in all this be careful about illusory correlation even even with your kids you know and for heaven's sakes, if your kid does a drawing, don't immerse yourself too much into what the drawing means. Who knows why he, draw it th- why he drew it that way. Maybe he just saw a show called The Angry Family. When we come back, 
You're E-Persons. I'm Dr. Ray. Solidarity HealthShare began out of the Christian tradition of neighbor helping neighbor. They're a nonprofit medical cost-sharing ministry in which their members share in each other's eligible medical expenses. Solidarity HealthShare is not insurance, but rather an alternative way to pay for medical costs that adheres to the teachings of the Catholic Church. They'll never share in a medical care that goes against their values and morals, such as abortion, contraception, and sterilization. More information available at SolidarityHealthShare.org or at 844-313-4999. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. John 14. This is Jesus in the upper room with the disciples before he's going out to his sacrifice of himself for our salvation. And Philip says to the Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus looks at Philip and says, Philip, have I been with you all this time? Don't you understand? When you see me, you're looking at the Father. In fact, only two people throughout human history have given rise to the question, not who is he, but what is he? The two people are Buddha and Jesus. Buddha's answer was, don't come to me, don't look to me, look to my doctrine, look to what I teach. Jesus' answer was, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Jesus is explicitly claiming to be God. We need EWTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Gurindy, an old-fashioned dad trapped in a psychologist's mind. Boy, they clash. Good to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. This is E-Person Monday. As I'm looking at the stack of E-Persons in front of me that I am sorting through. Now, this next one here is very short, and it is, I don't want to say risky. That's too strong a word. Perhaps I need context for this because I, I don't know. Well, let me read it to you. See what you think. Dr. Ray, I'm not sure if this is the kind of question you usually answer. But our pastor recently shared a quote from St. Teresa of Avila saying, now this is St. Teresa saying this, the purpose of life is suffering. Is that true? Well, once again, I'd have to know the context of St. Teresa saying this. Um, there's something else I would... It's kind of a, a broad-based response to this, is that sometimes among us Catholics, 
we tend to think that everything and anything that a canonized saint says has status of church teaching, has status of moral obligation. It doesn't. It doesn't. The saints are a source of tremendous wisdom, of course. Source of a lot of holy guidance, yes. But that doesn't mean that everything they say is directly on target. Keeping in mind they have all their own unique personalities and their personality and their view and their experiences can color some of the things they say. So, for St. Teresa of Avila saying this, the purpose of this life is suffering. I'd have to know what she meant. Now, I would wonder if one could say one purpose of this life is to suffer and it is to grow in holiness because of that suffering. I could see that. I mean, that's a very common theological perspective that a person has. But I think what's confusing our writer here is that she's, she's reading this quote from St. Teresa as the sole purpose of this life is to suffer, which, if that's how she's reading it, I, I think would be definitely over-reading it. And she goes on. How can we have happy families if we are all supposed to be trying to suffer all the time? Well, you see, that question reveals how I think the writer is misinterpreting this. Uh, trying to suffer. No, who, who tries to suffer? I mean, we're all kind of in the same human boat here, which is, ah, if the Lord gives me suffering by his grace, I'll do my best to learn from it. I'll do my best to grow from it. But it isn't something I'm saying, bring it on. I'm ready for it. Is that all you got, Lord? Come on. It's not us. I don't know if that's even healthy. How can we have happy families if we are all supposed to be suffering? Well, suffering comes. There's no question. However, can all have the peace of the Lord also. That's what he says. Be at peace. Be not afraid. I've come to give you joy, that your joy might be complete. So you got all those quotes, which indicate, yeah, faith in Christ does lead to a peace and a joy that the world doesn't generally give you. Ever. So given that, you can have a happy family, writer. And... She says, is constant suffering what God wants of us? doesn't seem to be. Not if you are aware of Jesus' quotes. Yeah, there will be suffering in this world. It will happen. But that isn't the purpose of your existence, is to seek suffering. So therefore you have a miserable family life and you, you barely struggle your way through trying to have good relations with people because you're so miserable trying to deal with all the suffering. Oh, but Dr. Ray, you shouldn't be miserable. You should be joyful in your suffering. Well, I don't know about you, but that's uh, that's hard to do. And by God's grace, some people do it better than others. But because of our human fallen condition, uh, suffering isn't something that we generally say, hey, give me more of that. And then she asked this. What about suffering for our children 
And what she means is the children's suffering. Well, it's like anything else. You know, kids are not spiritually mature. <laughs> Most of us are not either. Matter of fact, when do you get spiritually mature? I don't think this side of heaven, it's real possible. If you're talking about complete spiritual maturity. Nobody's asking children to suffer. Especially the littler ones. They, they don't even have the conscience. They don't have the development. They, they don't have a whole lot of stuff. The emotional well-being to be able to cope with suffering. They don't understand it. They can't put it in context. So the idea that St. Teresa is saying purpose of life is suffering, I'm not sure you can extrapolate what she said to kids. And I'm not sure you can extrapolate what she said, meaning the sole purpose of life is suffering. I would wonder if some of what she means is in this life there will be suffering. Don't forget, this stuff has to be translated, you know, translated into English. So from where she wrote, from her native language, into English, again, like anything else, when you read Scripture and you think, wow, that, that's a tough saying, but then you find out what the original Greek was, oh, well, that, okay, that puts a little different light on that quote. And I think that happens also in translating from other languages. So... My dear, I would say I think that at least tries to flesh it out a little bit. Dr. Ray, I have been listening to your program for about 20 years. Ah, you're thinking of my dad. I think. I'm 20 years. Let's see. So I'd just gotten out of college. Yeah, just gotten out there. I am a healthy 60-year-old woman with four incredible adult children. They are all married and practice the Catholic faith. Just thought I'd brag. It is nice, though. All four of them practicing the faith. That's a pretty good ratio these days. My son has two little boys. His wife is a stay-at-home mother. My daughter had a baby and plans on returning to work. She wants me to babysit. Two days a week because she can't get daycare during the COVID pandemic. My son feels this is unfair to him. Ah. Well, my response immediately on that is practice the Catholic faith. Well, the Catholic faith would say, hey, mom, help mom however you can. I'm not concerned about what's fair to me. But I'll leave that aside. My other son's wife is expecting a baby. And his wife will also be a stay-at-home mom. So you got two stay-at-home moms. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He also feels like it's unfair for me to babysit my daughter's baby two days a week while not babysitting his baby. Now, you see what you got going on here? You got two sons going, well, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's right for you to babysit our sister's kid. You know, just she wants to go to work, you know, our wives stay at home, and I think you should come and babysit and make it be equal and fair. Yeah, well my first thought is 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 that is that practicing the Catholic faith? Both of my sons feel they're being slighted. No. 
because I plan on babysitting my daughter's baby two days a week, and there's none. My other daughter, I'll tell you what, there ain't enough for you to go around, Grandma. My other daughter will be getting pregnant soon and will most likely want want me to babysit too. I don't know how I can handle this situation in a way that my children will all feel they are being treated fairly. You know, Grandma, I'm, I'm disappointed that your children are putting that pressure on you. One of them can't say, hey, Mom, no, you give her the help she needs because we're fine. We've got, we, we are privileged enough. My wife can stay home. This is not a problem. No, you're not giving me my fair share. Oh, come on. Not one of the four? <sighs> I've considered not babysitting anyone at all except on occasional weekends or unusual circumstances. What are your thoughts? Well, if you want to cater to their sense of fairness, I guess what I would say is I'm going to give each of you one day every other week. Pick your day. That's it. Because anything other than that, somebody's going to feel shortchanged. You got two sons who are both married, and who knows how their daughters would react to you babysitting your daughter for two days a week and them none. It's it's kind of sad that they're putting you under that pressure. That's my thoughts. All right? So, you want to keep it all equal. Two of the kids one week, one day, and two of the kids the other week, the other day. And maybe one of them will come around and say, Hey, you know what, Mom? That's a lot for you. Don't worry about us. We're doing fine. Father Benedict Groeschel. Ah, I love reverence. Wherever I go in the world, I usually go to visit the religious buildings. And no matter what I see, I see reverence. Awe. I've been in temples and mosques where I saw more reverence and awe of God than I see in Christian churches, even sometimes in Catholic churches. Oh, yes. Let me say it. And when I was a boy, Catholics were much more reverent and respectful in church. You never, ever spoke in church. I was a young priest. A man had a heart attack at the beginning of Mass. I stopped the Mass. We prayed for the man while the police were coming, the ambulance. They removed him from the church. He didn't die. Not one word was spoken. The police officers and the ambulance attendants who came whispered respect. I wish it were true today. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Why is the calling on the name of Jesus so powerful? According to the Catholic Catechism, to pray Jesus is to invoke him and to call him within us. We are welcoming the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. A simple invocation developed through tradition in both East and West and transmitted by the spiritual writers of the Sinai, Syria, and Mount Athos is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. Through this prayer, the human heart is open to human wretchedness and the Savior's mercy. 
Invoking the holy name of Jesus is the simplest way of praying always. If the heart is humbly attentive, the prayer is not lost by heaping up empty phrases. It holds fast to the word and brings forth fruit with patience. The prayer of the church also honors the heart of Jesus and the way of the cross, which we call making the stations. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. have you with me thanks for joining me i appreciate it monday through friday the doctor is in this is monday which means this is e-person monday where we address the emails we had to do it um the emails were coming in as much or more so than the calls and i i tried to respond to them briefly however i could and it would be not possible to write to write things even even the briefest of thoughts so a compromise in which again we can't get all emails this way but a compromise is that we devote a day to them and that's today i have a very emotional six-year-old son youngest of three he gets mad a lot and cries a lot i've said before on these letters that when they are selected I choose them for various reasons, and then I set them aside, and I forget what's coming up. And I like that. I I like to comment as I go along on the letter and see if the rest of the letter bears it out or doesn't bear it out. Now, this line, he gets mad a lot and cries a lot. Mom calls it very emotional. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's an umbrella word you could use but it sounds like he he gets frustrated easily some kids get frustrated more easily than others that's just who they are he gets his feelings hurt do you have any tips to help him control his emotions yes and no don't you just love psychologists no in the sense that there's not too much that I'm going to give a six-year-old as a tip that he's going to absorb and use Oh, thank you, Dr. Ray. That really does help me control my emotions. Yes, in the sense that I can give mom or dad ideas to help him over time not be so (laughs) out-and-out expressive of his frustration. She goes on. Here's an example of what happens in school. He gets offended by something and either gets mad or starts crying. Then some things think he is. Then some kids think he is mean, and that really hurts his feelings. All right, here's what you got. Here's the dynamic going on, Mom. He gets mad. Well, he must obviously express his anger for the kids to think he's mean. He must do something: yell, scream, insult, whatever. There is a response. The kids think he's mean. When he does this, then the kids think. Uh, you're kind of jerky. And then he gets his feelings hurt because they don't like me. So you got you got this dynamic interplay going on. I get frustrated. I verbally or 
corporally lash out in some way, the kids then think I'm being mean, and then they don't like me, at least for the moment, and that bothers them. So it's all, it's all part of one dynamic. This all comes to a head at bedtime. I try to calm him so he can go to sleep, but it takes quite a while. Why do you try to calm him, Mom? If this is an independent emotion, in other words, he just doesn't want to go to bed. He's resisting bed. So you're trying to talk him into going to bed. Or he's complaining about what happened during the day because he knows you're going to stay there and try to calm him. But all that tends to do is make it worse, right? I would give him whatever minute or two or three that you want to give him for goodnight kisses and all the stuff that goes with bedtime and then get out of there. And then, of course, if he carries on, which I suspect he will do, the next day you're going to have to say, you know, because you did that last night, here's what I'm going to do today. Okay. He thinks, quote, no one likes him. No one wants to play with him. He's the meanest, etc. I've tell, I've tried telling him that he does not have to believe the other kids when they say that. I've told him he must be nice. Try to help others. Once he gets upset, it's really hard to pull him out of it. You see what's happening? He's acting mean. He, gets, he, he lets his frustration get on a roll. And so he does things that target him as unlikable. So what I would focus on with the teacher I'd want to know when he does this at school and then I would respond when he comes home I say you can't act that way you can be mad but you cannot be mean and if you're going to be mean at school here's what I'm going to do at home you're going to go to bed early you're not going to have any television there will be no dessert you will copy a letter of apology to your teacher for doing this Yes, I would, I would teach him there are results to you just letting your emotions all hang out. Now, what's interesting here is that, Mom, you called him emotional, which means that you're viewing this as some kind of quasi-psychological predisposition that causes him to be this way. Well, what we do know is that he gets frustrated easily, and when he gets frustrated, he gets nasty. And that ain't a way to influence friends and win people, to reverse the old saying. I lunch parent once a week. In other words, she serves in the cafeteria. And the head lady has said he has cried all lunch before. They try to comfort him, but it's really hard to get him out of it. <laughs> I watch Facebook a lot, so maybe you could do a post on the overly emotional child. Um, I'm not really all that worried about the crying. I think that the crying will decrease as he is taught by you not to let it all hang out. Right now, he's in a vicious spiral. I get frustrated. I do something that makes me unlikable. The other kids retreat from me stay away from me, maybe even insult me, and then I just get so hurt, I cry, 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 cry. It is easier to focus on the misconduct than it is the emotions. I think the emotions will resolve themselves somewhat. I mean, I can't know for sure. I don't know. I don't know exactly who knows. Only God knows how this young man's wired. But I think, and I get, I'm basing this on the fact that I see so much of this in my office. The parents will come in, there are behavior problems and there are emotional problems. 
And the emotional problems are often an agitation, an easy upset because I'm clashing against people because of my conduct. Whether it's my sisters, whether it's my mom and dad, whether it's my grandpa, whether it's at school. Because I butt up against people, then the natural response is I I feel bad because they're ostracizing me or they don't want to be around me, so I'm hurt and I cry. My suggestion, Mom, is to deal very firmly with you can't do this at school. And here's what we're going to do about it. And I'm going to talk with your teacher about it because here's what I want him or her to do about it. And as you as you temper off, sorry for the word, as you decrease that acting out behavior, there will be less times when he will feel ostracized or hurt or insulted, whatever, by these other kids. It's the cycle that you wish to break. I'm Dr. Ray. Thank you for joining me on the Doctor's Inn on this E-Person Monday. I'm Dr. Stan Williams, and this is Evidences for Christianity. Some critics of the New Testament suggest it is filled with the prejudicial opinions of the writers, and not exactly what Christ taught, and therefore not reliable. They claim the stories and teachings were altered to bolster the church's authority. But the most prolific writer of the New Testament distinguished Christ's teachings from his own. Paul's discussion of marriage and celibacy in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a perfectly good place for him to pass off his own opinions as those of Christ. But he does just the opposite. Twice, in verses 10 and 12, he writes plainly, This say I, not the Lord. And that's evidence for the authenticity of Christianity. To explore more, go to AveMariaRadio.net. Under Resources, look for me. Dr. Stan Williams teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present body and blood soul and divinity under the appearances of bread and wine in the bread of life discourse documented in John chapter 6 Jesus states that he is the bread of life and that his flesh is true food and his blood true drink the Jews were scandalized in verse 52 how can this man give us his flesh to eat Jesus does not back down, but reiterates this teaching four more times over the next four verses. Many left in verse 66 because this teaching was truly difficult. But at no point does Jesus water down his teaching and call them back. No, he allows them to leave, and even questions his twelve apostles if they too wish to leave. Jesus intended to be understood literally, and the Jews, apostles, and the Catholic Church absolutely take him at his word. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. Describe the world's greatest mom. And these were the answers from a select group of children. She would make broccoli taste like ice cream. Well, I think I'd be a 
one of the characteristics of the world's greatest wife. The greatest mom in the world wouldn't make me kiss my aunts. I used to have to kiss all of my aunts growing up, but they always gave me a buck. You know, they did. I had all these Italian aunts, tons of them. And they were your aunts even if they weren't your aunts. If they were a friend of the family, they were a comare or a combare. Never knew what that meant until I got a lot older. And then I realized half of these people aren't my aunts. I still got to kiss them. And then this one. Describe the world's greatest mom. She'd always be smiling. And keep her opinions to herself. <laughs> I would sure like to know the age of some of these kids. I can pretty much guess whether they're boy or girl, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got I got time on this one. This was this is rather long. By the way, Dr. Ray, we saw you in person a while ago. You don't look like your voice. That would be one of the... You know what I talked about uh, when I talked about um, projective tests, personality tests, based upon vague stimulation? I should have people draw a picture. This is what you think this dude would look like on the basis of his voice. My husband and I... Have been having problems with a sibling and her husband for several years. We're a conservative family who sent our kids to 12 years of Catholic school and we're practicing Catholics. Our kids are grown, doing well. Our extended family consists of 10 siblings all over the age of 55. Now that is a significant statement right there because I, again, I don't remember what's coming all over the age of 55. So these are people... 55 and up. So whatever our writer is going to talk about is entrenched. Of those 10 families, four are practicing Catholics. This is a sad ratio, but it's ever so common. Five are either non-practicing Catholics or agnostic. And one has more recently declared themselves atheist. All over 55. This is interesting. My most recent book, I talk about why people, what amazes me is how people don't think about their own death as they get older and their relationship with God. In their minds, they must think they're just going to go on forever because this is not something you got to consider. I can understand it when you're 22 and you think you're going to live another 180 years. But when you're 80 and you're still not thinking about God, uh, I would think even self-interest would motivate you. We've never brought up the subject of religion to the non-practicing Catholics or the atheists because we feel it would cause conflict. Yeah, it would. And you know the sad thing about it? that it would draw a conflict. Why not? Why not? Why can't they just carry on a conversation about the pros and the cons of these different beliefs? Why not? Why is it that by and large the people who don't believe are most hostile to the people who do believe? That's an interesting turnabout because the the cliche the stereotype is that the faithful people are judgmental well what i'm finding is that 
the non-believing people tend to be very intolerant of people who believe. The extended family as a whole has gotten along well in the past. The atheist family, however, has been an instigator of conflict and seems to thrive on it. We've all put up with their shenanigans because we all know what they're like. Some family members seem to fear them like schoolyard bullies and actually pander to them. This has changed more recently, however. And the family no longer gets together as a whole over the holidays or at all because of them. Don't let them do that to you. If they want to be angry and nasty, don't don't let them disrupt the connections of the whole family. What it's sounding like is this is a large family, and most of the people are well past middle age. Don't know who's going to leave this earth and when. My husband and I have been the atheist's favorite target for quite some time. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, you just wrote me an email. And this email is based upon either this radio show or my television show, which you must have come across, and therefore you're listening to Catholic media, which probably tells me you're trying to live your faith really well, and of course you're going to be the ones that get their ire. Long ago, when our kids were little, we were good friends. They called us almost weekly to babysit their kids, help them with the house and car repairs. Looking back, we we saw it as sharing our time and talent. But another sibling pointed out to us that they are takers and they used us. Well, I don't doubt that. I mean, if you were trying to be charitable, if you were saying, yeah, that's my sibling, I want to help them out how I can, you didn't think much more of it than that. Maybe they saw you as someone they could easily put upon. I I don't doubt that. But I, I can say this. You did what was good and right as you as you saw it. Okay. And also the kids were younger. And I'm going to speculate. My experience has been that in faithful families, as your kids get older, people who don't believe and people who are intolerant of the way you're living your family life and the way you're raising your kids become more agitated and hostile toward you because they think you're ruining your kids. All right. Because of their verbal out, constant verbal outbursts regarding politics and religion, we've backed far away. Well, if they're constant, and they're, this is, seems to be the status of the relationship, yeah, our Lord doesn't ask you to put your face there to get it slapped. You can, you can protect. If they're obviously not going to be somewhat civil, if at any moment... They could unload or snipe at you. Why would you put yourself in that situation? Let's see. Our own mental health is our priority, and and spending 10 minutes with their ranting sucks the joy out of us for weeks. Now, wait a minute here, Carol. Don't, Don't ever let that happen. The fact that they rant, the fact that you know what they're like, the fact that you know what they've been like, the fact that you know that they are pretty much unhappy people, they got to attack like this, should not, should not, double underline, have the power to ruin your peace for weeks. They shouldn't have the power to ruin your peace for an hour. You know what they're like? In my book, Thinking Like Jesus, I talk about a chapter called Closing the Book. 
And basically what it means is when you know what somebody's like, their behavior should not surprise you anymore. It should not distress you anymore. You know what they're like. Uh, Upon seeing us, it takes them about five minutes to begin making condescending remarks. Ooh, examples. (laughs) Oh, these are not exactly subtle remarks. Calling my husband and I uninformed idiots. Mm -hmm. Low-class morons. Aha! There it is. There it is. Unable to raise intelligent kids. See, your kids are brainwashed by you trying to pass on your morals and values to them. You see that? There it is. Stupid, etc. We are stupid because we don't understand science and that a pregnancy is just tissue. And women have the right to choose what happens to their bodies. They have looked upon our voting and say we are moron voters. Their name-calling rants are usually in front of other people, but occur one-on-one as well. On a couple more occasions, they publicly persecuted us as Christian believers. At a Catholic funeral burial of a dear family member, they positioned themselves behind us, and as the priest spoke of eternal life, heaven, and God, they snickered loudly and said, Can you believe these idiots believe all this blank? Dead is dead. She's going in the dirt, and that's it. Later, at another wake, they positioned themselves behind us. These idiots think dead people are going to go somewhere on a nice trip. At a Christmas gathering a couple years ago in our home, a family member led the grace before meals prayer. At the sign of the cross, the atheist loudly said, Hocus Pocus, son of a virgin is going to save us all. And began waving their arms in the air, mocking the sign of the cross. We are at a loss. I wouldn't be at a loss. I don't know why you're at a loss. Pretty obvious. These are nasty people. Very nasty, intolerant people. I'm going to go a step further. They got to be unhappy. They got to be. To be this mean-spirited, to not allow you to believe what you want to believe, no matter how ignorant they think you might be, to be so hostile towards you. I know there are those of you out there thinking, Dr. A, down deep somewhere, they know that this is true and they're fighting it. Now, that may be, but I'm not willing to take that. Although we are cordial and polite, when we see them, we get away from them as soon as possible. I would. Are you kidding me? Why would you put yourself there? In being charitable, the Lord doesn't say you have to stick yourself in a position to be abused. Now they are playing the victim by telling others that we have abandoned them, we are terrible people, and we are haters. There you go, you see, and you call yourself a Christian. I would not be bothered one whit by them accusing me of this. We feel they are gaslighting us. They are. We pray for them. We hope good things for them. But do we have an obligation to spend time with them? You want my opinion? Not at all. Why would you? They're just mean and abusive. I thought as we got older, things would get better and everybody would realize that life is short. Yeah, you got that. It's gotten worse. My husband's faith has actually become stronger because of this, but I feel mine is slipping away a little. No, don't let that happen, Carol. Don't let that happen. (laughs) She goes, am I crazy? Are they crazy? Is an exorcist needed? Just kidding. But this is going too far. Well, it sure sounds like it. Oh, Carol, heavens. This is just, just, 
verbal, I won't go so far as to say abuse, it's just nastiness. You don't have to put yourself there. And the fact that you pull away, of course they're going to interpret it as, yeah, yeah, look at you avoiding us. We're such nice people. They have no insight. They have no insight at all. But it's interesting that they target you the most because you're either jerks or you're faithful people that that just bothers them to no end. Why can't they just say, yeah, Carol and her husband and family, they believe this nonsense. Oh, poor things. Oh, well. No, 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 no. What is it? One must ask, what is it? I'm Dr. Ray. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. 60 Seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. The state has responsibility to orient things, but they can't take over the rights of the family, like in China, to have one child and that's it. It's a disaster over there. How many tens of millions of abortions have gone on? And one of the things that, as a result of that, is because of the preference to have boy children rather than girls, you have, for every thousand boys, there are 850 girls. This is a great imbalance. Same thing is going on in northern India. So this is where they, the government cannot take away the primary and inalienable responsibility of married couples and families. And they cannot employ methods which fail to respect the person and fundamental human rights. Beginning with the right to life, the government cannot force you to kill innocent human beings and still be a humanistic government. It's an evil government. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Over the last 50 years, we've had some of the greatest popes since the Reformation era. So why are things such a mess in American Catholicism? How do we analyze and confront the attacks we're facing? How do we identify wolves in sheep's clothing? How do we re-evangelize the baptized? Dr. Ralph Martin makes sense of a church in crisis and shows pathways forward He'll make sense of a disordered world. Go to AveMariaRadio.net, and you'll find it in our online bookstore. When you get older, your hands just slow down. Good to have you with me. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. Boldly going where no brain has gone before, and we are running absolutely out of time. I want to add one other thought, or emphasize the thought I made during Carol's previous email that she has very, very, very nasty atheistic relatives who don't miss an opportunity to put them down. Nastily, too. Name-calling, all kinds of ugly stuff. Do you have a Christian obligation 
to be around these people? No. Your Christian obligation is to be charitable, if need, if need be. Um, it is to, for example, let's say they would get sick, and maybe because it's your brother or sister, you, you, you go visit them, or you do what you can to help. You have an ab- obligation to be charitable, and, and Carol says we pray for them. But you don't have an obligation to put yourselves around people who are going to mistreat you consistently and seem to take some kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, pleasure, status in attacking not only what you believe, but attacking you personally. For heaven's sake, Sarah, Carol, you, you said it's weakened in your faith. Don't, don't, don't let it do that. Why would it do that? You're getting persecuted for it. Turn to the Lord and say, Lord, you said, you said, blessed are you when people persecute you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Go look up that verse. It's in Matthew. And Dr. Ray, thanks for joining me here on E-Person. Walk with God. Hold your children tightly by the hand. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. the splendor of truth. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. This is Richard Lena, your general manager for Guadalupe Radio Network. Do you believe in the life-changing work of Catholic Radio? I'm currently looking for a full-time employee for the San Antonio area as an assistant to the GM. If you or someone you know would like to be a part of the Guadalupe Radio family to help us carry out this mission, please send your resume and a cover letter as to why you want to work for the GRN to richard at grnonline.com. God bless you. You are in our daily prayers. The Guadalupe Radio Network is grateful for the financial support of Dr. David Seguin and Dental Care of San Antonio, who help make Catholic Radio possible. Dental Care of San Antonio is a general and family practice and is committed to making your trips to the dentist enjoyable and ensuring your smile is the first thing you want people to see. You can reach Deacon David Seguin and Associates at 496-2533 for an appointment to find out more about state-of-the-art dentistry in San Antonio. 496-2533. Mr. Miyagi, I heard that the GRN is raffling off a 2021 Mercedes-Benz GLA 250. Miyagi loves support Catholic Radio on GRN. Where can you get tickets? Thing called Internet. <laughs> Go to grnonline.com. One ticket, $25. Five ticket, $100. Drawing in the March 1st. Name drawn March 4th. What are you going to do if you win? Give to you. Practice. Wax on, wax off. Thanks for listening to KJMA 89.7 Floresville, San Antonio. On the Guadalupe Radio Network in South Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Catholic Radio for your soul. Heard also streaming on grnonline.com and on your smartphone.
variety of forms of communication. Sometimes we simply greet one another, hi, how are you? And we say small, short prayers similarly to God. Other times we engage people in deep conversations. Other times we engage our families and family reunions and big meals. Similarly with God, we engage Him in Eucharist and deep meditation as well. Missing Catholic Radio in your area? Heed God's call to get involved and start a Catholic radio station. Contact Jack Williams, 205-795-5756, or email jwilliams at ewtn.com. 